This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, great big good morning again. Great to have you folks joining us today. And, and, and today we actually are closing the series on grit, and it's been a wonderful series. If you haven't gotten a chance to see the whole thing, you can go back onto our website and, and watch some of the previous ones. And the way we've been doing it is pretty simple. Life has challenges, right? We have, we have these challenging blocks of life, and they tend to come on about a 24-hour basis, I think. And, and we're under this myth, right, that eventually life will not have any of those. How's that worked out for anyone? No, it's just not. Like, it's, it's what's the, the challenge du jour? What's, what are the challenges we have to deal with? Right, so, so we have this block of challenges. And, and how do we get through it? And we live in a culture that says, well, well, grit is kind of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, figure it all out yourself. I can promise you, I think, 99.9% sure I can promise this, eventually that won't work. Eventually that won't work. Eventually we hit something where, where, where the, it's more to the stereotypical image of grit, like I'm just going to grin down, bear this, move my way through, where it doesn't work. We're, we're just in a circumstance that, that is so far beyond that we can't imagine how to get through it. How do we do that? That's where another kind of grit grows. It's a grit where we start to understand, please listen, a love and faith that transcends our life circumstances. A love and faith, like peace, it transcends our very limited human understanding. And that's God. It's God holding us. It's God moving through us. It's the way life really works. I, I think it's so much about growth, not purity. And growth sometimes is really challenging. And yet God's economy is a way of using all this stuff, all these hard times in a way that will start to take us home, which I'm going to look at today. With that, the typical Christian tradition was, okay, so we have hard times. When you hit them, one thing a lot of Christians do is something called praying the Psalms. So the Psalms were these, these books, these set of little letters and poems written about a few thousand years before the birth of Christ. Literally, if you're not sure where they are in the Bible, you just open your Bible up, it's right in the middle. And a typical Christian tradition, a very powerful one, is actually to pray the psalm. So you, you take a psalm and you just randomly pick it and you pray it because these psalms are raw. I mean, they are raw. You will be shocked at some of the language in them. Language that is times exultant of God, language that is at times angry at God, language at times that captures sort of a misappropriated, a, a skewed view of God, uh, other language that gives a very accurate and loving view of God. That's the human experience. That's why people pray them. And then what does that move us towards? It moves us to a new place where we understand grit in a very different way, in a new way. And I think it, 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 it's powerful to watch that, that transformation. It's powerful to walk with people on it. And I, and I want to say it's not an easy walk. It's not a triumphant walk. It's, Leonard Cohen would put it this way. It's a cold and broken hallelujah. It's a cold and broken hallelujah. Cold and broken, yeah, because life has those parts. And a hallelujah, a statement of praise there as well. And we're going to look at how those, how those, those pieces kind of come together today. 
Now, what I want to do is I want to go over Psalm 18 with you today. And it's a really beautiful psalm. And, and this psalm, it's, it's, it's from the translation called The Message, which is a beautiful translation by Eugene Peterson. And it's, it's, it's designed to sort of capture a modern language. So if you're following along at home, it's Psalm 18, and I'm going to read some different parts of it. I love you, God. You make me strong. God is bedrock under my feet, the castle in which I live, my rescuing night. My God, the high crag where I run for dear life, hiding behind the boulders, safe in the granite hideout. I sing to God the praise lofty and find myself safe and saved. A hostile world I call to God. I cry to God to help me. From his palace, he hears my call. My cry brings me right into his presence. Isn't that beautiful line there? My cry of anguish brings me right into his presence. But me he caught, reached all the way from sky to sea. He pulled me out of that ocean of hate, that enemy chaos, that void in which I was drowning. They hit me when I was down, but God stuck by me. He stood me up on a wide open field. I stood there saved, surprised to be loved. Beautiful line. And and that's the part I really want to start out looking here, looking at. But he caught me, reached all the way from sky to sea. He pulled me out of that ocean of hate, that enemy chaos, that void, which goes back to the story of creation for those of you who are Bible geeks, that void in which I was drowning. They hit me when I was down, but God stuck by me. He stood me up on a wide open field. I stood there saved. Folks, these last four words are beautiful. Don't just let that pass over. Listen to these with your soul. Surprised to be loved. Surprised to be loved. Who doesn't love that kind of God of surprises? Life, I want to take a little detour here. I want to talk sort of, you know, sort of a, a metacognitive view of life that ties in with this. And, and we see this in the Psalms all the time. We see this, this deep despair as well as this unwavering hope and hope and despair going back and forth and back and forth all the time. And, and I think of that much like this and how we can hold life. These two rails. Right, And sometimes we're on a rail that's a little bit uncomfortable, that's a little bit challenging, that's, that's hard. And sometimes we're on a rail that's really good. Sometimes we're, we're totally slipped off and we're in a bad place. Sometimes we're in a good place. And it's like there's these two rails. But my friends, there's one destination. Two rails. But there's one destination. And isn't that so much of what we've heard from our, from our guest speakers who we've had in this series? You know, challenging times and good times, but at the same time, there seems to be some divine economy, or as Martin Luther King would say, an arc that bends towards justice, or an arc that bends towards heaven, or, or in a new church, we would say divine providence that's always pulling us home. Two rails, one destination. Two rails, one destination. And it seems that this is actually what's really true. God prefers a mixed world in light of the biggest picture, which is a heaven from the human race. 
Now, I'm not saying here God creates evil. I think, I think what God is saying is, look, regardless of what happens, I'm going to use both of those rails to move stuff forward. I think God is very comfortable when he, when he reaches down and kind of holds humanity and he holds it up. I think he's very comfortable seeing humanity in this way. And one of the things I was thinking about with that picture is we always have to look. Are we trying to run our lives based on purity or based on growth? Religion, I think, can get way off base when it becomes sort of a purity game. Because if it becomes, if religion or faith or church or synagogue or temple or mosque, if it becomes a purity game where we're judging who is in and out, we're, we're leaving aside the idea of growth. And is growth messy? Yes. It just is. But you would never see someone, you would never see, like, like if your kids, if your kids came home and they were holding this precious pile of dirt, you would never look at it and go like, well, nothing's going to grow in that. Because we all know that something does grow there, does grow in those hard times. And it's not, folks, again, when we look at grit, it's not that we're, we're going to avoid moments of despair. We're not going to avoid moments of despair. Again, I think it's, it's, it's easy to think and speak and move from the perspective that, that maybe something's horribly wrong all the time when there's despair. New church is interesting in that it holds that when despair shows up, we should all go, oh, that's a really good thing, <laughs> which is kind of amazing. Because if we're experiencing despair and we're experiencing grief, at the same time, we're experiencing growth. Two rails. One destination. Destination is always home. When we look, folks, at that idea of despair, here's some quotes on despair I want to I share with you that, that talk about it. This is first one. Our heartfelt beliefs and loves will get attacked. Whatever you hold as your core belief is, is going to inevitably end up being assaulted. If hell had a job description, that would be it. It's going to happen. In a strange way, what that means is, is you want to, to, to look at what you value the most, look at where you carry a lot of despair. Interesting twist, right? Good conversation for the ride back home. Second point, even the good things we do out of love will get attacked. So we may do something really good out of, out of a deep, out of a deep heartfelt desire to serve. Folks, do we get to control how that service is received? Yes or no? No, you absolutely don't. I know for me, I want to do these good acts out of love and I want to put them out there and I want a trophy. I want a trophy, a big trophy. I want people to notice. I want to take a selfie. 
but that's not the game. That's not how it works. And that will cause despair. Anytime you do something that, that is an act of service, you can expect there to be a moment where somebody says something or does something that's going to call it all into question. And I think in the new church, we, we share these things just so we can go like, oh, there it is. There's that thought that I knew was going to come down the pike. I just know it's going to come. That's okay. It's just a thought. And the last one. What is under assault, folks, read the last three words there with me. What is under assault is what? What we love most. Take a picture of that, my friends. <laughs> that is big. That is big. I was thinking this morning, and, and, and one of the challenges I, I tend to get into in my own head, and I imagine a lot of you do too, is we get into these moments of despair. And when I get into these moments of despair, I believe nothing good is happening in the world. Any of us struggle with that? You know, moment of despair and you feel like nothing good is happening. This is a little bit convoluted, maybe way too like airy, but I, but I want to share it out there. All despair is, is a thought. God is about change. That change is coming, whether you despair or not. That change is beautiful. So a lot of the time I get confused. I think because I'm having thoughts of despair, that means that the change isn't happening or God is absent or any of those things. Not true, not true at all. That's not how it works. God is constantly using both of these tracks, pulling them together. Now, as the band comes out, as the band comes out for this next song, a lot of moving through grid is, is, is moving through challenges, and a lot of these challenges can be created by all kinds of different things. And our egos can get all caught up in this stuff. Our egos can actually become these, these negative forces, both for ourselves and for other people. I love this quote here. Beautiful, beautiful quote. The narcissism of small differences. That's what can start to happen. I mean, I think that's the definition of bullying, right? This narcissism of small, of small differences. And, and we have to learn to move beyond that. I mean, when we're in a place of despair, oftentimes it can be triggered by somebody who sees a small difference that we have with somebody else and draws attention to it. It's something we can do as well to other people. When we come back, we're going to get to hear from our dear friend, Bill Deering, talking about his journey, moving beyond the narcissism and the pain of the small differences, finding a much bigger community on the other side of that. To set up our guest speaker, you know, one of the beautiful things about technology today is, uh, you know, you get questions from people who, from all over the country actually, who send in notes. And this is one we got, and I want to use it to sort of address what we're talking about here today. This is from out in the Midwest. What if the moments of despair are more than moments? I have no doubt I am changing, but the strength to endure and continue the journey is so difficult. It's a great question. What do we do when, when you know, it's not just a moment? 
When despair actually, we, we face challenges in our life and we're being called to, to grit. And, and, and what is it that, what is it we do? And I'm going to share totally off the cuff. I have nothing planned. This is just for any of you who might be struggling with this. And I'm going to use it to sort of introduce, introduce our, our guest speaker. I think things that always help me in those moments, which I've had a number. One is remembering faith is not certainty. Faith is the eye of love. And faith and hope is love stretching into the future. That seems to help. I think also, this is going to sound strange, but when we find ourselves in those moments, I don't know whether there is a way out. Not 100% sure. I think those moments can feel so all-consuming, like a, like a hurricane. And the idea that you can stand in a hurricane and go like, I'm not feeling any rain, not going to happen. They can feel so all-consuming. And there's a way even there where it's, where it's a surrender to that. I mean, folks, that's why Easter is so, such a poignant story. Like, here's Christ, God in flesh, saying, I'm going to walk this journey with you because that's my journey too. See how powerful that is? See how powerful that is? And the last one, and I say this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but not really, say it seriously as well, is I think when we go through those moments of deep despair that we can't see it and we can't find our way out, Please get yourselves a good board of directors. <laughs> yeah, some of my board of directors are laughing at that comment. Because that's what you need, right? Because I can't see it. I can't do it. I need somebody who's standing on the other side of the storm and can go like, you know what? I'm here with you. Not to give me advice, not to tell me how to do it. I mean, one of the, one of the best blessings I had, really dark moment in my life, dark, dark, you know, couple of years in my life, was I was so relieved. I, I, I could call my, my board of directors. My mom was on it because she could always say, you're right, Charlie. They're all jerks. And, and, but then I, I also had another friend who I could call no matter what. He would, he would, you know, I'd spew my stuff and he'd say, are you finished yet? You know, and just sort of get over yourself. And then I had another friend on the West Coast that when I couldn't sleep, and it was midnight. That three-hour time change, you know, made such a difference. Because I could call it midnight. I don't know whether we can get through it ourselves. I do know we can get through it together. And I do know people with stories like Bill Deering can help light that way. Please give Bill a warm round of applause as he comes up on the stage. This way, bud. Over here. Just give me your hand. There we go. So it's a big pleasure getting you here, Bill. So, Bill, first off, I'm just going to have you just say your name and, and just give us the background of the story, what, what the struggle's been around. Uh. 
I'm Bill Deering, and I began stuttering when I was seven years old. I grew up with a very severe stutter. Um, it used to take me three minutes just to say my first name, three minutes to answer the phone. I would stutter and say, I'm a hundred times before I could say the first sound and hello. Uh, I didn't talk on the phone until I was 20. I was teased and bullied throughout um, grade school, middle school, and my first two years of high school. Um, and about 20 years ago, I met a guy who suggested to me that stuttering gave me an advantage in life. I thought this, was, this guy was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like, what's the advantage to stuttering? And he said, Bill, he said, have you ever noticed that when you stutter, people stop? They listen to you very closely because they want to hear everything you have to say. He said, that's your advantage. And I said, oh. <laughs> and uh, I realized he was right. You know, I started noticing how closely people listened to me when I stuttered. And I like to say that what I did is I stopped letting the fear of stuttering stop me in my life. I, instead of running away from my fears, I started running towards my fears. Yeah, thank you. Just I want to ask you some questions. And then Bill, you and I have become good friends, and we do the Bertucci's thing on occasion. And, uh, you know, for, for you, what was the moment that was like, Chuck, this was my moment of greatest despair. This is when I just felt like this isn't just a moment. This is a lifetime where you really felt, you know, totally hopeless in so many ways in your life. Um, okay. I remember when I was in ninth grade, I had to do a speech in my history class, and I begged my teacher to do a written presentation, but he wouldn't have any of it. He said, you have to do this presentation. So I practiced, and I, after I found out I had to do it, I went home and cried. Um, and, uh, you know, the day of my talk, I couldn't eat or sleep or drink, and um, I did a, a three-minute talk. It took me 20 minutes to complete I stuttered on every syllable of every word, and everyone laughed at me. You know, people called me stupid and idiot and retarded. It was in that moment I decided I would never speak again. And, you know, that was the moment that I felt really hopeless, and I prayed every day to God that to have my stutter go away, but it never seemed to... My, prayer, my prayers never seemed to be answered. Yeah. And, and Bill, and you, you said, too, that, you know, you had some strained, if you don't mind me sharing, you know, you had some real strained relationships in your household, too. Yeah. You know, maybe share a bit about that. Yeah. Um, growing up, my relationship with my dad wasn't the greatest. Um, you know, there are times when I'd come home and he would um, just say, spit the words out. That's the... Um, um, he would say that to me over and over again. It was just very hard to hear after getting laughed at all day, and to hear that from my uh, to hear that from my dad was 
very hard. Yeah, yeah. And and Bill, you know, as as you move through that, and you had this this person tell you, right, like that your stutter actually made people lean in. You know, I guess I guess I want to get to like what started to sh- to shift for you there, like like I know so many of us deal with with these traumas. I mean, I think probably most of us here can go back to seventh, eighth, ninth grade and not remember it terribly fondly, right? And it was nothing compared to what you had to deal with. And, and sort of what was going on in your head? Like, how did your headspace shift when you start to hurt somebody say that actually this could be an advantage for you? This this thing that had caused so much despair and pain. You know, how did how did your headspace start to shift? Well, it took me... Set, I. This guy and I, we had conversations for years, and it wasn't until I went on a job interview and the, the person interviewing me said, Bill, how are you going to do this job? You stutter. And they said, well, stuttering's an advantage. <laughs> <laughs> and I got the job. <laughs> um, so that's when, I, that's when I started realizing, well, maybe this was really true. And um, from there, I just, I started, that was really what um, pushed me to start taking on jobs where I had to do more speaking. And I would, I decided to, to just keep pushing myself to speak more. Because I was really, at that point, just really determined at some point that I would, I would be free. Uh-huh. So. It's beautiful. So that, that freedom, and uh, you're being very humble up here, Bill, by the way. You get five extra credit points for your humility <laughs> up here. Uh, you have quite a story around speaking more and forcing yourself into situations where you can find freedom. And when I say things like University of Vermont and other such things, I know you know what I'm talking about, and I'd love for you to share with them what part of your journey has been with institutions and secondary schools. So um, a number of years ago, I decided that I wanted to, uh, to become a speaker. Um, when I announced to my friends and family that I wanted to do that, they thought I was nuts because um, I was still stuttering pretty severely. And I remember one of the first talks I did, I, um, I spoke to 500 uh, kids. And for the first 10 minutes of my talk, all the students laughed at me because I stuttered on every word. And I, all I wanted to do is run out of the room. But I knew if I kept going, that would really make a difference for the students. And you know, I dealt with that for a number of my talks. And then one time, the students laughed at me. So I said to them, I said, whatever you see in me, you see in yourself. You're not laughing at me, and you're laughing at yourself. And, um, you know, three weeks later, I received a number of um, written testimonials from the kids for the difference they made in their lives. Um, I have gone from stuttering on every syllable of every word to now I deliver talks all over the country. I've spoken to over 20,000 people. I book all of my own events. I'm get on the phone and crank out 125 calls a day. Mm. 
All right, Bill, now to close it. Let's, let's do, take a little breath here. And, you know, if you take the you of today, right, you that has had these experiences, and you take back to that ninth grade boy, you know, that boy who felt like he wasn't enough, felt like he'd never talk, felt like he'd never find his way. If you could go back and tell him something, you know, hold him, what would you go back to tell him? I would uh, tell him to not let stuttering stop him in his life. Go live your life. You know, people are going to, there are going to be people that are going to support you and people that are not. And you just have to go find the people that are going to support you and encourage you and go live your life because you're only here for so long. You got to, you got to make the most of it. Boom. Boy, that's beautiful. That idea, folks, of of stories like that, can you hear the Bible phrase there, pulled from chaos, surprised by love? Pulled from chaos, surprised by love. I think with our life, we may not like the learning process, but we do tend to really like what we learn. And and how is it that we pull all this together? Well, I think it's not about looking like this. That's gritty. It's not about looking like that. It's about acting like this. I think sometimes, right, like, and, and Bill said it so well, like, Sometimes we're the one who needs that, that person to push us up, and sometimes we're the foot, and sometimes we're the hand. That's grit. That's grit. If you're in a place right now where you really just need a hand, you really just need people holding you and pushing you up and helping you to keep moving forward, that's okay. That's where you're supposed to be. And my experience out there is there's going to be someone who's going to tell you something, share with you something. God's going to move them in some way or do something. Something to the effect of, Bill, you know, actually your stuttering is an advantage. People listen better when you stutter. And then there'll be other times, too, folks, where life is good, where where we have extra, where we have abundance, where we have, please listen to this word, please listen to this word, where we have opportunity. Opportunity to be the hand that can help our brothers and sisters up. The rise, the fall, both of the glory of God. And where does this all go, folks? Where does it tend to go to? Well, I think this is a great summary. We're not working for the approval of the crowd or to quell the critics' incessant chaos in our heads. 
We are here to give ourselves fully towards what is in front of us now. What does that take? Grit. It's that giving. What's in front of us now? What am I being called to right here and right now? That's, that's what grit really is. That's, that's how it works. It understands that there are two tracks, of course, two tracks of life that go forward. But one of the beautiful artistic ones is that, is that and I'll have somebody just shout it out because I'm sure somebody in here knows it. The two tracks actually come together in any point of perspective. And what's that point called? The vanishing point. So we see there aren't two tracks, there's just one. And that idea of separateness, separation, it, it goes and we start to see the journey as this beautiful thing going one direction. At times, again, a cold and broken hallelujah. And something I know, I know it in my bones, we can rest in. But me, he caught, reached all the way from sky to sea. He pulled me out of that ocean of hate, that enemy chaos, the void in which I was drowning. They hit me when I was down. But God stuck by me. He stood me up. He stood me up on a wide open field. I stood there saved. Surprised to be loved. Amen. That closes this series. We're now going to take time for a prayer. I'm going to say a prayer. And then you'll have the opportunity to say your own prayer or the Lord's prayer as you know it or to have a moment of quiet reflection. Before I do that, I ask for another wonderful round of applause for what Bill and actually all the speakers shared with us today. So please join me in a prayer. So, Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And, Lord, allow us, wherever we are on this continuum, to understand what the true meaning, the true meaning of grit is. That grit is this. It's a love and a faith that is beyond our life circumstances. And, Lord, for those who are having a hard time seeing it, Let us just, Lord, hold that place tenderly, reminding them gently with word and deed that though the day is hard, please listen. Though the day is hard, the journey is good. Though the day is hard, The journey is good. And that we will find on that journey places again and again where we are surprised. The God of surprises. That we are surprised by love. A love unforeseen. 
a love unknown, a love unanticipated, a love from places and people who we never imagined would be part of our lives, a love for the tenderness of God that holds all things, two tracks, one journey, a journey always home. Wherever we are on that journey, Lord, hold us. Give us the grit to offer help. Give us the grit to accept help. Give us the grit to remember that this is in all things we do together. Lord, bless this congregation. Bless this amazing group of people. Allow them to live lives that are diamonds, that shine, that make a difference, that add light to this world. Be with them in this week ahead until we gather again next week. So we end our prayer this day with just a simple statement of love. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.